All right, legends, welcome back to yet another episode of Get Around Me. What a time it is to be alive, truly. And I mean that today far less than I've meant it on other days. We are recapping the third Ashes Test between Australia and England, which Australia lost. So when I say what a time it is to be alive, there is significantly less oomph behind that than there has been on other days. But nevertheless, we're here. We're here to talk through it. I'm podcasting on a Monday, which is against my religious beliefs. Traditionally, I love to podcast on a Wednesday or a Thursday. That's when I'm really firing physically, mentally, spiritually. All my rods and cones are aligned, talking to each other. As I fire off my unsolicited opinions, I thought of on the bus home. But while I am outside my peak performance window today, I will be charging on nevertheless. So here we bloody go. Third test. We lost. We are up 2-1 in the series. I'm pretty bloody hungover from a big weekend. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to muster up the fury of a scorned Australian fan post-Ashes loss. I'm trying to get as angry as I know deep inside I should be, but I think if we're all being candid with ourselves, the man in the mirror, I think if we're being completely honest, it's pretty bloody sick to have this series still alive. As much as we'd love to win 3-0, as much as we'd love to say, well, 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 baseball this, baseball that, we're up 3-0, get out of my face with these made-up words. And I think you've got to remind yourself with baseball sometimes that it's not actually a real word. Anytime you're getting too freaked out about it, anytime they cut to Brendan McCullum having a snooze on the balcony, you do have to remind yourself that baseball is not a real word. But in this case, it was pretty bloody real. We lost the third test. I don't really care because the series is still alive. And also, I'm pretty confident we will win one, if not two, of the next two test matches. So it's all above board. I feel like this is a great result for everyone. England are carry on, they're carrying on less about this actual win than they did about the first two losses that felt like wins. So I'm not sure if they're startled by how a real fin- win actually feels. I'm not sure if they just spent all their energy celebrating the first two losses. But it feels like they're being pretty respectful. We are just going to sort of let this one go because it keeps the fun going. And keeps the Commonwealth together, which, as we all know, is what this colonial sport is all about. So I, I feel like every Australian fan, yeah, we're pissed off. Yeah, I guess so. But the series is still going, and it's on to the next. So great stuff all round. And honestly, if England come back and win 3-2 in this Ashes series, I feel the same way about that as how I felt when Ben Stokes was leading them to a would-be victory in the second test. It's like, mate, honestly, if this guy gets 220 not out, fine. It's fine, okay? If you're going to do something no one's done for like 150 years, it's fine. You can have it, okay? But I think we all know that Australia, if we play even sort of good for the next two test matches, we should win one of them. So I'm not too stressed. It's on to the next. And let's get into what was another absolutely face-melting game of cricket. And this was a, a weird game because I had social engagements, I had gigs, I had all sorts of stuff happening in my own life, my personal life. Not that anyone cares about that. 
So there were times when I was sort of popping my head in and out of this game. And it was weird because you're like, I'd pop my head in and be like, okay, we are winning. And then at the next pub or the next gig or when I got home, I would flick it on again and be like, wow, we're really far behind in the game now. And I just left for about 40 minutes. So I'm not sure what's happening at any stage really. And you just sort of had to continually readjust your expectations for this game that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. So on that note, a big apology off the rip to our man Finchie, okay? I was attacking the man's wardrobe, not his integrity. I hope my comments had nothing to do with Channel 9 either sacking him, rotating him, whether it's one or the other is a bit by the by. I think we've all seen Mitchell Stark get rotated over the years where we all knew deep down it was a dropping. So sorry to see Aaron Finch get kicked off the broadcast. I hope he's well. Uh, I'd like to think if he was sacked, it was because of his performance and nothing to do with my comments. So sorry about that, Finchie. Uh, if he is coming back for the next test match, I mean, let's take the guy down uh, to a local Connor store and get him some threads uh, that the great man deserves. So hope to see Finchie back in action for the fourth test. Hope to see Sock back as well at some stage. I will say it was pretty bloody unreal seeing Ian Healy back on my Channel 9 screen. Just five foot four, red as fuck. Just, just so happy to be there. Heels. I love Ian Healy because you could ask him literally anything. You could ask him about the stock exchange. You could ask him about uh, the war in the Middle East. You could ask him about Russia Ukraine. You could ask him about fast bowling, and he will give you an answer. He will give you an answer. Whether he knows anything about that particular topic, whether he has to make that answer up as it's coming out of his mouth, Ian Healy will always give you an answer. And that's what I love about the great man. So great to see Heels back, standing there giving, giving those answers that he always bloody gives. And while we're here on the broadcast team, I'd just like to quick, quick drive by and say Mark Butcher is the most boring person I've ever heard talk not only on a television, but in any capacity whatsoever. So, let's crack into the actual cricket. I was negative first two test matches. I was I was negative about the pitch specifically. Edge Baston was a disgrace, okay? It looked like my mattress, lifeless, dead, just really providing nothing for anyone. And then Lords wasn't much better. But this pitch was so sick, dude. Mark Wood bowled a bouncer that went for six. I know that doesn't really have anything to do with anything, apart from the fact that it was probably too short. But there's something about a bouncer going for six where the batsman turns around and sees it goes over the keeper's head by like five meters, where I don't I don't know what this says about me, but it, it arouses me sexually, okay? It arouses me sexually. So great to see a pitch with a bit of bloody dog in it, hey? Great to see a pitch that also came to play a bit of test cricket. This thing was darting all over the place. It was bouncing. Bloody unreal. So well done to the groundsman, whoever that was. So sick. Bad toss to lose for us. And we were getting pumped. We were getting pumped in that first innings. Enter Mark Wood bowling rapid. There is nothing better than someone just bowling genuinely rapid. I don't care if you're hitting the pitch. I don't care if you're even getting wickets. There's just something about it where you go, holy shit, dude, this is fucking dangerous. And I feel like cricket doesn't get the credit. Yeah, they're wearing they're wearing pants out there. And, and that is really one of the biggest obstacles to cricket being labeled cool by the mainstream. 
It's the fact they're wearing pants. You're thinking, yeah, they're wearing pants. They're drinking tea at lunchtime. This isn't that cool. This isn't that dangerous. This isn't that sexy. But then you see some random white guy just hurling a concrete ball at 100 miles an hour. And you think, dude, this is sexy as hell, okay? I've, I've got a semi. Everyone's scared, you know? It's fear. It's arousal. Mark Woods, also a pretty good bloke. We'll throw that in the mix. Oof. I love it, dude. I love it all. Then Mitch Marsh comes out. And I didn't even know Mitch Marsh was in our squad. Okay, I'll be completely candid. I thought our squad was just the starting 11 plus Scott Boland. I was unaware we had taken any other players over whatsoever. I'd seen Marcus Harris pop up a couple times. I was under the impression that was in a strictly professional drinks carrying capacity. So I was completely blown away, not only to hear that Mitch Marsh had been traveling with the group, but was now going to be playing in the game. Shocking. Okay, absolutely shocking. Uh, Cameron Green's injured though, so someone's got to play, and in steps Mitchie Marsh. And I watched this whole innings, and it was absolutely face-melting stuff. Dude, Mark Wood's bowling 97 miles an hour, whatever that means in kilometers. I think it's about 220Ks an hour. Double-check that. Mitch Marsh hooked him for six in front of mid-wicket, dude. What the fuck's that about, you know? Jesus Christ, it was one of the best innings I've ever seen. It was like Travis Head in Hobart last Ashes series. What is happening, dude? So I was very happy for Mitch Marsh. And I remember that moment where Mitch Marsh, I think in the last Ashes, said, I know everyone in Australia hates me, but I'm just here to give it a crack or whatever. And it was so sad because because he was right. That's what the saddest part about it was. We did hate Mitch Marsh for a long, long time. And it just, it was one of those moments where like someone holds a mirror up to your face and, and you don't, you don't like the look of what's looking back at you. Someone held up a mirror to my face and I thought, why do I so viscerally hate this man who has been picked to hit and or throw a ball around in this made up game? Meanwhile, I'm scrolling past Russia, Ukraine updates. Fucking, I don't even stop. Who gives a shit, you know? So it did, it did make us look at ourselves as a nation, and we did hate Mitch Marsh. It became like, it, it penetrated the mainstream to hate Mitch Marsh. It was like the cool thing for casual cricket fans to say when you're at the water cooler in your local office. Oh, you see the Ashes is coming up. Oh, well, they better not bloody pick Mitch Marsh again, hey? They better not pick that dopey prick. It's like when you hear me talking about rugby league. I've been walking around all over Sydney for the last two weeks telling people that I want Brad Fittler's head on a pike, okay? I, people are like, did you see Origin? I go, <laughs> did I see Origin? I can't wait to see the back of Freddie Fittler, mate. He's the worst coach in a thousand years of rugby league. Now, here's the thing, dude. I don't know why I'm saying that Fred Fittler should be sacked. I am merely parroting a Fox Sports article I read earlier in the day. I don't know why New South Wales lost. I don't know why it was Freddie Fittler's fault. What I do know is that I want you to like me desperately, okay? And I will say anything to make that happen. And I feel like Mitch Marsh was massively a massive victim of the same phenomenon. Where, yeah, Mitch Marsh got a lot of opportunities he probably didn't deserve. Does it mean we should, as a nation, collectively hate this man? I mean, to think of all the things Australia's come together on, 
I mean, gay marriage got over the line by, what, 56%? If we did a referendum on who hates Mitch Marsh, it would have been in the 90s. So for, for us to come together as a nation on something as trivial as the lesser-known Marsh brother, it really it, it was quite a sickening moment. So I was quite happy to see Mitch Marsh do well in this test match. Again, I had no idea he was part of the squad. I know Mitch Marsh has a lot of success for Australia in the white ball game. But I've said previously, I've never watched Australia play an international T20 match. And also, I don't believe that one-day international cricket still exists outside of World Cups. As far as I'm concerned, and I have looked into this, I have looked into this thoroughly, but to my best knowledge, the last one-day international series outside of a World Cup was the tri-series between Australia, England, and Sri Lanka in 2007. Uh, That final against Sri Lanka where... Uh, the late, great Andrew Simons got 156 batting with punter, coming in at three for not many. That was the last recorded one-day international outside of a World Cup. So I have been hearing about Mitch Marsh doing a lot of great things in one-days and T20s for Australia. I thought that was some ICC conspiracy bullshit, and I didn't really think too much of it. But great to see Mitch Marsh having a bloody crack, and I'm, I'm very happy for him for his success. The thing with Mitch Marsh is whenever they do those Ashes docos or the test, I should say, it's pretty clear that this guy's at the very, whatever you think of his cricketing ability, it's pretty clear that if you got stuck at an airport bar with Mitch Marsh for 45 minutes, you'd be just fine. So the fact we all viscerally hated him uh, for upwards of four years, it just seemed like wrong place, wrong time for old Mitchie. So pumped for that guy. Travis Head got a few runs as well. And I went to bed, what was this, Thursday night, I want to say? I went to bed Thursday night with Mitch Marsh on 110. Travis Head's on freaking 35 or whatever he got, 40-odd. And I went to bed around midnight, 1 a.m. And I felt pretty bloody good about going to bed that night. I was lying down in bed thinking, oh boy, I wish I wasn't so tired. I wonder what other parts of the ground Mitch Marsh is depositing their attack into. And then I actually got quite stressed out. I thought, oh boy, I hope they've got enough backup balls for all the bombs Mitch Marsh is hitting out of the ground. I hope they have enough replacement balls. I would hate for the test match to get cancelled because Mitch Marsh, on his way to a double ton, has lost all the replacement balls with his beautiful stroke making. And then I woke up the next morning to see that we had actually been bowled out before I even made it to my bedroom door that night. So just a sickening collapse for England. I did say in a previous podcast that I felt that they were shooting themselves in the foot with these flat decks because we suck in English conditions. And then we've rocked up for the first two games and it's Mumbai day four. And all of a sudden, you know, James Anderson can't swing a ball to save himself. We're making 400 every innings. It was great. So I I think it was very smart for them to juice up this deck. Good toss to win England. And we had one of our famous collapses. So, that yeah, smart from England. Uh, I was listening to the Great Cricketer podcast, and as they so often do, those boys, they articulate thoughts I I have in a way that I never could. Uh, Pez on there, he said, with these decks, with the flat tracks, they robbed Peter to pay Paul in that they wanted these flat tracks for their batting and... And they, and they sacrificed their, their bowling advantage to get these beautiful flat tracks for the first two games. And they that whole robbed Peter to pay Paul thing, 
I, I tried to say that for about three podcasts, but it took a lot of swearing and sweating and screaming and just, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't say it as eloquently as that. But that's exactly what I was trying to get to uh, over the course of about three weeks of talking about the pitches ad nauseum. So I think if I was England, I'd be on the hose for the next two games, especially now Warner's apparently back in the doghouse, even though everyone was loving him six hours previous. So great to see some actual English conditions. We collapsed, nothing new there. And then on the end of day one, Mitch Marsh got himself a pole on top of his beautiful century in a real just Willy Wonka chocolate factory. Just have a bit of everything, Mitch. Have a bloody bit of everything. So very cool. Then England got 237. Uh, Also, I wrote here that Bearstow cannot catch at all. Oh, that was the thing. Yeah, they dropped Mitch Marsh when he was on like one. Joe Root, it would have hit him in the chest. Dude, that catch Joe Root dropped off Mitch Marsh, he would have been better putting his arms behind his back and chesting it like he was an Arsenal midfielder, just trying to take the ball on the hop. And maybe the guy at second slip could have taken a rebound. That's how poor his effort was. And then Bearstow, it's crazy this series is 2-1 when England are playing with a wicketkeeper who can't catch. And I'm not saying he's a bad wicketkeeper. I'm saying he cannot catch uh, at, at a base skill level. Like, I do believe, I do think that if Joe Root was in a situation where he was at a barbecue with John Bearstow, and Bearstow was across the table and said, chuck me that tomato sauce. I do think it's now at a point where Joe Root would have to get up and physically carry the tomato sauce across the table to John Bearstow and then put it in his hand safely and hold it in his hand for maybe do a, a one, two, three count for safety and then say, John, are you sure you have this? And Johnny Bearstow would say yes. And then Joe Root would be able to return to his seat. I've never seen a man so bad at catching as John Bairstow. But anyway, what happened in the first innings for England? They bat Harry Brook at three, which I thought was so sick. I thought that was sexy. I just saw Harry Brook in my mind just hitting cover drives on the up and just being reckless, but it's working for some reason. And Brendan McCullum's asleep on the balcony. I thought, ho, 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 ho. These jammy basball motherfuckers have done it again. Of course, it didn't work at all. I was wrong. Pat Cummins was outstanding. Uh, Ben Stokes goes nuts again for some reason. I mean, Ben Stokes, there's just this thing where sometimes uh, the game will be headed in a certain direction or it will be the outcome of a particular innings will be almost a certainty. And then Ben Stokes, he's like Thanos or something where he just sort of clicks his fingers and now the game is in a completely different position. So he got 80-odd. We got, they got more runs than they ever should have, should have. And we also got a lead we never really thought we were going to get either. We get a lead of 20. Pretty much restart the game from scratch now. It's been going for about half a day. Both teams have been bowled out. Who knows what's happening? And then this is where I think we actually lost the test match. And I, I was watching this bit as well. We lost the test match when Moeen Ali took two for none for absolutely no fucking reason whatsoever. I, 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 was, I went to bed after this. I, I honestly rage quit, as the gamers like to say. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Moeen Ali bowling 
genuine nude balls. I don't know. I mean, this guy has more going on on his chin than he's putting on these cricket balls, okay? His beard has more revs on it than these cricket balls. I mean, that doesn't make sense. But what I'm saying is, like, his beard has at least got something going on. You know, you say, what's that? It's a beard. He's grown that beard. It's hair on his face. It's something that exists. It's got, you know, it's got a beginning and an end, his beard. These balls that he's, that are coming out of his hand, they're just, they're just completely nude. There's just no revolutions on them. They don't appear to be turning in a specific direction. They don't come out in a trajectory that would that would indicate it's going to do something or that they're just sort of like, if, if his balls were a person, they'd be on Centrelink. You know, they're just milling about out of his hand, just sort of lost. And for some reason, Marnus Labashane hits one down deep mid-wicket's throat. It didn't even seem like he was trying to keep it down. I go, okay, I guess that's what Marnus is doing today. Whatever, he's one of the all-time, my favorite players and... I guess he made a mistake. That's fine. Then Steve Smith comes out in his 100th test match. He's twitching like a fucking cicada during summer. And it's looking real good. And then he just hits one to mid-wicket for no reason at all. And it's like, I just don't know what that was about. Moeen Ali on the test match special afterwards, they asked him, what were, what were the tactics there? What were you trying to do? And Moeen Ali said, I don't know. They just sort of hit it to the fielders. So that was good. And yeah, I guess if you're Moeen Ali, that was good. But I still, for the life of me, have no idea that why that happened. That is where we lost the test match in my eyes. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, Ollie Robinson's injured. They're down a bowler. And for some reason, like, like the number two and number three ranked test batsmen in the world just chipped balls to fielders off one of the worst test bowlers in the world. So that's a pretty good way to lose a test match. And now we got Mark Wood steaming in, bowling absolute fucking thunderbolts at the rest of our team. And they're now on top because Moeen Ali's taken two for none. It, I still don't um, have words for... For these words, I don't have words for these words. I don't know, okay? In this series, you don't say what happened. You say, why did that happen? That's what I kept saying to myself. I understand they got out. I just don't understand why that happened. But anyway, let's move on. I can tell I'm in a bit of a hole here. And so then we end up getting a lead of 250. We just sort of collapse again. Mark Wood gets a few. Uh, Travis Head gets 70-odd, good stuff from him, and now we've got 250, and it's like halfway through day three, or towards the end of day three, or day two. I don't know, this whole test match seemed like it took about six hours. It was raining the whole time, apparently, I'm not sure. So anyway, they have a lead. they need 250 to win at the end of day three now, and we haven't really played very well at all. I guess they've played a bit better than us. I'm not sure. But from here, we just never really had enough. It was their game to bottle, and they tried their best to do so. Yeah. I don't know. Moeen Ali came out at three. 
uh, they said that Moeen Ali asked to bat at three. He wanted a crack. And if I was Moeen Ali and I just got out Marnus and Steve Smith in that fashion, I would have asked to bat at three as well. I would have been like, mate, I don't know what's going on. I've just bought fucking 12 lotto tickets and a shitload of scratchies. Send me out at three because some, my beard's twitching, brother. Everything's, everything's coming up Millhouse in Moeen Ali's world. And he goes out there and, and gets fucking absolutely stumps everywhere from Stark. That was pretty sick. I think he got bold. I can't remember now that I'm thinking about it. But anyway, if I was mowing alley after those two wickets, I would have sent a Ben Stokes, mate. I'm also, it would have been like that Tom Hanks movie. I would have said, I'm the captain now, brother. Okay, something's going on. I'm taking over. I'm on fire, dude. So I can't wrap my head around those dismissals. Uh, last game, I wasn't stressed when they were chasing 370 because we had too many runs. And this game, when they were chasing, I wasn't stressed because we did not have enough runs. And I know everyone says, oh, it was close and, oh, we almost won. But really, I don't think it was close at all because the pitch wasn't that bad. It's like a day four pitch. Pitch was great, dude. I want to make love to this pitch. But keep in mind, we got Joe Root and Ben Stokes out caught down the leg side in just two absolute nothing balls. And that, that was so lucky. We got their two best batsmen out caught down the leg side for absolutely no reason. So this should not have been close at all. We never had enough runs. This kid, Harry Brook, has absolute stones on him, brother. I'll say that. My God. I don't know how old he is. They always are talking about how young he is. He looks about 12. It's exciting. And even his dismissal. I mean, really, Harry Brook should have just cruised home. He, like, did an overhand tennis shot straight up in the air again for some reason. I could totally hear like an argument that Indian billionaires have got all these side bets happening during this series because all this crazy shit happens out of nowhere for literally no reason whatsoever. It's like some oil prince in Saudi Arabia has Harry Brook to score between 70 and 80 and the call goes out. All right, mate, come on. The fix is on time to get out. And he's like, copy that, you know, oh, we, we, we need Steve Smith and, and Marnus to get less than 10 Come on, lads. And the message goes out there too. Like, just the weirdest shit happens during this series. I don't know what's going on. And it was a game we were never out of, but were we ever in it? Yeah, dude, we were always in it. We were never we were never out of it. We were never not in it. I don't know. I'm not, ma I'm not doing a very good job of making sense of this test match. And I'm trying my best. But yeah, if you look at our team, you had Stark and Cummins... Stark bowled unreal. When Stark is on, he's on. When he's off, he's off. Does he have a mode in between? No, he does not, brother. Okay? No, he does not. Cummins bowled unreal in the first innings, obviously. And then Mitch Marsh was unreal. And Travis Head contributed strongly in both innings as well. But outside of those four men, Stark, Cummins, Head, Marsh... I think you could argue that no one else in our team did literally anything. <laughs> like, anything. It was so bizarre. Uh, Scott Boland is just, for whatever reason, it's not happening for Scotty B at the moment. I was like so, I was frothing on Scotty Boland. I was one of those guys like, Scott Boland in English conditions, mate, just give us the urn now. Just give me, like, I was... I was fucking two feet in the deep end on the Scotty Boland hype. 
And he's not bowling that badly. He's just, I don't know. Is he unlucky? I'm not sure. I'm not sure I understand fast bowling enough, or I don't know if I've watched Scott Boland closely enough this series to understand why it's not happening for him. But the reality is, it's just not. So I reckon Hazelwood comes back in for for him. Marsh, uh, oh yeah, so we lost. I guess this is sort of a bit of a few thoughts on what's to come. I feel like, has this been a fun recap? I feel very bemused in the last 10 minutes, guys, to be honest. Because I've, you know, I've tried to be a bit of a funny comedian guy. It's a comedy podcast, allegedly. I mean, it's in the comedy category. Is this funny? Is is a guy just being really confused in his bedroom for 25 minutes? Is that what comedy is? It doesn't feel like it on my end. So sorry if there's a distinct lack of laughs in this one. I think it was pretty funny at the start. I'm looking at the back of my notes here. It's an invoice uh, for an Upsonic Power E-Star 2000. So I'm not sure where I've got this scrap bit of paper from, uh, but there's no jokes on the back of this thing, I'll tell you that. And yeah, I feel like the last 10 minutes, I've just become very bemused, as I think a lot of us are. I feel like it's like, yeah, we lost. We could have won if we played even 2% better. We just didn't for some reason. We lost the game, but because of where the series is at, no one really cares. I feel like that's the vibe around Australia where we're like, eh, you know, eh, still going. It's still bloody going. You know, if you're having sex uh, with sort of four, well, well, I guess five beautiful uh, maybe exotic women. Let's say you're having sex with five exotic women uh, from, you know, their respective regions around the world. And I don't know where each of them from, but let's say uh, these women could all be on like a university bus ad and no one would really blink an eye. That's the sort of diversity we're rocking in the bedroom for this hypothetical orgy. But ideally, you would love to make, you would love to have sex with each of them, not sort of, you know, come after the third woman leaving the last two to just sort of have a net session at Old Trafford and the Oval. Now, I I think we can all see that this sexual metaphor has really come off the rails here, but this is so much better having the last two games with the series still alive than just having glorified net sessions while we play Michael Nisa in a dead rubber because there's this vibe that we owe him something. You know, when I was a kid, if you got 4,000 runs and 25 million wickets in the county championship, no one actually gave a fuck, okay? It was, it was cool, and it was nice for you to, you know, pay off your mortgage back in Brisbane in the off-season of Australia. Maybe you and the missus do a few trips to Rome in between games. But it wasn't this vibe that like, oh, he's taken, he's taken five for, for fucking Glamorgan. Get him in, you know? Scott Boland had the opportunity to go go and play some county cricket in the off-season. And he said he'd rather just put the feet up and have a few net sessions, which at the time seemed pretty bloody cool. But do you know what I mean? I just I feel like the, the Michael Nisa hysteria in this country is completely out of control. And I think he would have got sort of a glorified net session in Game 4 had we won this one. But now I think we can continue to enjoy this series, which is test cricket at the highest level. It's still alive. And it's all happening, okay? 
Davey Warner, everyone wants his head on a fucking pike. I reckon keep playing Davey. I'm riding Davey Warner till the ground. I'm like Jack Sparrow at the start of Pirates of the Caribbean 1. Just, I don't care if the boat's going down. We'll make it to the wharf one way or another. And I do maintain that we do not have anyone that could do a better job than Davey. And, and yes, you might be thinking, well, Bill, he's not going very well. So the bar is quite low for someone to come in and do a better job. And that is, that is what I think of our batting reserves, okay? With all due respect to Matt Renshaw and Marcus Harris. Honestly, lads, just go for a whip around on the London Eye. Let, they should just let those two fellas jump on a Kentucky through Eastern Europe. Cut them loose, okay? Let them, let them bloody just cut loose in Europe for a couple of weeks because you won't be required, lads. I'm seeing a lot of people say Travis Head to open, Mitch Marsh to open, Cameron Green to open, Manus Labashain to open. Probably some Pelican is saying Michael Nisa to open. I do reject the premise that any anyone can just whip in to the middle of one of the greatest cricket series of all time in English conditions, test cricket at the highest level and just open the batting in the most difficult situation imaginable and just, yeah, it should be fine, mate. I do think it's actually quite difficult up there, hence why Davey is struggling. And let's not forget that he did get 60-odd in the last test match. So I think Davey, ride him into the ground at this point. If we lose the next test match and he has a double failure, yeah, we can talk about it, but I don't I don't think I don't think either of those things happen. So fingers crossed on that. I saw some people say drop Todd Murphy, play Cam Green, add Mitch Marsh. Do people get too wild with selections? Just Hazelwood in, Boland out. That's it. Okay. Todd Murphy, right? Todd Murphy is a bloody He's a bloody legend, okay? He bowled two overs in the second innings. I thought he bowled okay in the first. If I could be completely candid, I don't think I saw him bowling over at all in the first innings. I'm not saying they didn't bowl him enough. I'm saying that I was busy doing other things. So I like Todd Murphy. I think he's a a bloody good bowler. I would like for us to give him a bit of a crack earlier in the innings. I understand why... Cummins didn't bowl him in the second innings because it's like there wasn't that many runs to play with. Let's say Harry Brook gets onto him for a few overs here. Game's kind of over. But, you know, if Duckett, especially if Moeen Ali is going to bat three in the fourth test, if Ben Duckett and Moeen Ali are batting together in the 10-over mark in the first innings of the fourth test, I'd love to see uh, Todd Murphy come on because that's when Nathan Lyon would come on, you know? The GOAT would be fucking charging in. Let's back, let's back this this four-eyed little legend. I love him, okay? He, 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 you know, I just, I love Todd Murphy a lot. I think just keep with him, okay? And I'd love to see him get in the game a bit earlier in the innings. That's how I feel about that. And, oh yeah, Mitchell Marsh, what do you do with him? Dude, nothing. He got 118 off 118 balls, which where I come from is pretty bloody impressive. So keep him. I know we have collectively as a nation pledged ourselves to Cameron Green's development and that there's this sort of foregone foregone conclusion that Cam Green is sort of a a Ricky Ponting, Brett Lee hybrid and will play 140 test matches no matter what. Uh, Dude, when you hear cricket journalists talk about Cam Green, they can't, they're just jacking themselves off. 
It's just fucking relentless with the endless Cam Green hype. And I like Cam Green as well. I love him, okay? And I agree that he's an absolute gun and will probably play 120 test matches. And I also am willing to admit that he's fucking tall, okay? Is that what you want to hear? I admit it. He's a tall man. But I just think in this moment, Mitch Marsh is on fire. And let's be honest, Cam Green doesn't look like scoring a run in England. So I don't think that's too controversial to say. I'm I'm honestly fine if they play Mitch Marsh next two test matches. Mitch Marsh goes great in those test matches and then they just drop him for the home summer again. I don't I've got no allegiance here. We've got the West Indies and Pakistan I think in the home summer. I just think that Cam Green is getting across heaps. He's playing at balls outside off. I don't like the look of him coming in at 6 and especially with these green decks. Let's be honest, if Cam Green came out at four for fuck all in that test, is he scoring 118 off 118 rocks? Is he scoring 118 off any amount of rocks? Probably not. And while I am willing to admit that he's incredibly tall, I think in this particular moment, we should stick with Mitch Marsh. So, I feel like I'm forgetting something. What am I forgetting? Have I talked about myself enough? What have I been up to? I don't know what I was... I don't know. I don't know what I was supposed to... I've just got this feeling that I forgot something. But I can't remember what it was. Oh, the Bearstow thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, so... I was just thinking about this whole Bearstow controversy. Looking back, now that England have, have won the third test and they look pretty good and they're playing baseball with, I guess, they're just playing a better version of it or they're starting to think a bit more. And now the Test Series is so red hot and, oh, could they win three in a row? I mean, they could. I don't see why they couldn't. Dude, looking back on this whole Bearstow thing with the run out, man, thank fuck we did that, hey? Spirit of cricket, mate, get out of my face. Dear Lord, we could be 2-1 down if Alex Carey wasn't a ruthless son of a bitch. So, just looking back on the whole Bearstow thing, I'm, I'm not only am I in favour of it, which I always was, now I am thankful for it, okay? So, well done, Alex Carey. And I think, I think it's just put that moment into perspective that, hey, when we were up 2-0 and it looked like we were looking down the barrel of a 3-0 sweep, get out of my face, yeah, we could entertain these stupid conversations about this esoteric spirit of cricket and whether anyone was talking to a ghost at the lunch break. But now that we're playing a genuine series of cricket between two teams, oh, mate, thank God we ran out that stupid prick Bearstow and took the 2-0 lead while it was available on these ridiculously flat tracks in the first two tests, okay? Now they've got the hose out. Bloody hell, Scott Boland can't get a pole. Todd Murphy bowled two overs in the second innings. Bloody Marnus and Steve Smith. Oh, that's what I wanted to talk about. Yes. So thank God we ran Bersto out. And just to finish, Marnus Labashane. We need, you know, it's, it's like Eminem said in that famous song, will the real Slim Shady please stand up? If we're going to win this series, dude, Marnus Labashane needs to fucking G up 
in the next two test matches. And I'm not being negative. I got no qualms with anything Marnus has done over the last sort of, you know, he hasn't really done anything for about six or seven test matches now. His dismissal in the second innings was a disgrace. As my mum and dad used to say to me, I'm not mad at him. I'm mad at his behavior. Okay. So I'm, a, I'm still number one fan club Marnus. Love him to death. And I'm sure he will do something truly historic in the next two test matches. But if we're going to win this fourth test, we need Marnus to get a big ton. Big ton. Okay. We just need. That's the thing is baseball. The, the antidote to baseball is batting long periods, keeping their bowlers out there, okay? Mark Wood's bowling fucking thunderbolts, and, and it helps when they only have to bowl, what, 65 overs on the first day. We need Marnus Labuschagne to stay out there for like 300 balls and get one of his iconic test tons. Keep him out there. That was the big difference in this game. We did not bat time. Marnus hasn't done fucking anything in this series so far. And he's due. And I think now's the time for an iconic Labashane moment. So go Marnus. Go Australia. This is getting really sincere at the end here. But anyway, okay, that is the end of this podcast, this recap, as it were. The end. (laughs) It's 